Um, it's wonderful to be here this morning with you guys. Um, wonderful to have the opportunity to come together and uh, sharpen each other's faith. Look at this service. It's wonderful to be able to open God's Word together and inspire each other. A couple of weeks ago, we um, we were in John chapter 15 um, and being reminded uh, of Jesus' just amazing um, analogy where he took the grapevine and taught us about the Father and said, our God is a good God, a God who is active in our lives, a God who wants to shape us and prune us for the future, a God who doesn't want to leave us the way we are. And uh, flowing out of that and in the midst of a season where we as a church uh, do have questions and we are um, asking things about who we are and where we're going, uh, we wanted to have a series called The Heart of the Church, where we can make sure we keep on the agenda at this time uh, things that are most important for us. So last week, Mark talked to us about God's Word, and he said, this has got to be the heart of the church. These stories, these teachings uh, that have been recorded and passed down through the ages, and God himself has wanted to preserve these because they are vital for us. God's Word is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it actually will cut right to the very core of who we are. And they are words that speak life, words that shape us, words that challenge us. So whoever we are and whoever we become, God's word will be very central to us as a community and hopefully each of us as individuals. Well, this morning we're taking a look at deep, and authentic relationships. Relationships, I believe, are very much at the core of what church is. What Jesus is wanting to do in the world, the gospel, is about relationship. And I think sometimes as the Western church, we have focused a lot on our need for our saviour, we focused a lot on sin, on hell, on judgment. And on the flip side of that, the reward that we have in eternal life in heaven. And that's all, all true. We know that we need a saviour. We know that we need a redeemer. And we rejoice at the gift of eternal life. But I think sometimes along the way, we have undervalued the fact that Jesus is is wanting to work right here, right now. The kingdom of God is available right now in our lives, and he is wanting to build something here in and through each of us. I believe that this idea of deep and authentic relationship is not an add-on to our faith. So it's not, uh, we have a saviour, we go to heaven and oh, while we're waiting, you know, we can have some good relationships. No, this idea of deep and authentic relationships is core to the gospel. It is what Jesus is all about. And so this morning I want to open up some scriptures with us uh, that hopefully um, shows that it's not my idea, but actually this is what God hopes for us. 
So let's see. Our main reading this morning is going to be from the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is a really fantastic book for us to read in community. Uh, if Paul in the book of Colossians focuses on Christ as the king, so king of all the universe, and it's really about who he is, when we get to Ephesians, there seems to be this slight shift that it's still about Jesus as king, but now it's about what does that mean for us? Who are we because Jesus is king? One of my favorite verses from Ephesians is chapter 2, verse 10, and it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. I love this. God is a God who has plans for each one of us. Plans that invite us to be part of what he is doing, that we would have purpose. So... Ephesians is a great book for us to step into. We're going to be reading from um, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. But I want to start this morning from verse 14 and just read the few verses leading up because even in these verses, I think we start to, to get what Paul is trying to say here. So we'll start at verse 14 and Paul writes this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from God, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So, in these verses, we are already getting the picture that one of the goals of Jesus' death on the cross, right? One of the things he was aiming for, one of the things he was doing was to end hostility between people, to bring unity, to bring us into one body. Paul is here highlighting that Jesus dying on the cross is not just about our individual relationship with God. It is about our relationship with other human beings. That is his hope for us. He goes on to say, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. 
Together, we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So I want us to to pause on these verses for a moment. I don't know what stood out to you, but I think Paul is painting here a very powerful image for us, a very powerful picture of what it means for us to call ourselves Christians, for us to, to be his followers. He's really identifying how big the shift in our identity is as humans when we become part of God's family. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see who we are. All of a sudden, we are part of the one kingdom, part of the one family together. Now, I want you to think about the world you live in. What do we as humans look like across the world throughout history? Do we look like one people? Throughout history, nation rises up against nation. We strive against each other. You know, we invent incredible technology to go to war. We fight with tanks and guns and bombs and drones. And But even when it's not that kind of war... We have policies and, um, you know, departments for figuring out how to relate to other nations because we are not one united people. There's trade policies, um, taxes in between nations, border control, water rights, fisheries, the climate, all trying to battle out to make sure we protect what is ours but make sure that everyone else does what we think they need to do. We don't have to look at governments and nations for this. I was joking with my kids this morning, we can just look at my own family to see how, you know, we as humans can wrestle and not get along. But in our own street, families will, you know, wrestle with, you know, who can park where and how much noise is okay at night and smoke from barbecues and all sorts of things, how much of our tree hangs over the fence We build fences so high that we can't even see our neighbors. We as humans seem to be very good at at dividing, at separating, at working out our differences and where the lines are and, and guarding and protecting what is ours. This seems to come very naturally to us. But it's into this world that Paul comes and writes these words and says, in Christ, we are called to see beyond that. We are called to see differently. In Christ, we are being called to recognize that we are being carefully brought back together, joined together in him. And he says, if you want to be part 
of God's kingdom, if you want to step into his grace and his love and embrace that relationship, actually you're being called to embrace these relationships with each other. The two go together. It says we need to find ways to pull down the walls, not build them up. And we need to notice here that Paul goes to the the division between Jews and Gentiles. Because in the world at the time, there would have been no more powerful division than that. The Romans could not break down the Jewish boundaries. They, they couldn't get them to assimilate and, and join into the Roman Empire like they were able to do with every other faith and nation. They managed to divide and, and bring people in and Hellenize them was the term. But they couldn't do that with the Jews. And the Jews didn't want to be one with the Gentiles. This was a powerful division that no one was able to break down. And here Paul is saying, actually... You are one in Christ. In your hearts, you've got to let go of that division. You are one family, even with those that for hundreds and hundreds of years you've held apart. So in verse 21 we read, It is in the coming together that we become his temple. Together we become his dwelling place. The call to the Christian life is a call to deep and authentic relationships. This is God's plan for the world. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus uh, says that he will build his church and all of the powers of hell will not conquer it. And the word he uses for church, the Greek word, is ekklesia, or ekklesia. And most literally, it means the assembly, the gathered ones. And so what Jesus says, where we translate church, what Jesus says is, I will build my gathering. I will build my assembly I will build my people, my collective. That's the word that Jesus uses to describe us, that we are his coming together of people. This deep, authentic relationships is not something that will be pruned out. This is actually something as we ask questions about who we are that needs to be strengthened and built in. But what does this actually look like? What does it mean for us to be carefully joined together? I'm going to point to a couple of other verses uh, that I think help flesh this out. And then I'm actually going to ask us to talk together about what this, what this looks like for us. But let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and see what the writer of Hebrews thinks about these relationships, what they're about. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we get this picture that we come together to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. We gather to form relationships that that help us to grow, that sharpen us, that spur us on, that encourage us uh, to to do, is if we go back to Ephesians 2 verse 10, to live out the good works that God has planned for us. So they're purposeful relationships. Perhaps we could say partnerships for the gospel. Even if we look at Jesus' life, I think he shows us this is true. His example. And Jesus, uh, if there was ever a human being that didn't need anything, it was Jesus, right? Um, but when he started his ministry, the first thing he did was to gather a group of people around him. People that would travel with him, eat with him, pray with him, uh, work with him and alongside of him. People that he could invest into, but they were also people who served him and looked after him. People who prayed for him or fell asleep praying for him, as the case may be. But he gathered people around him. Purposeful relationships. They went on mission together. Is that making sense? You know, we we come together to do the mission of God together. But there's more than that. If If we stop there, we will actually fall short of what Jesus is wanting to build in the church. We are not just a people that come together to do good things to do works of faith. We're not just about utilitarian relationship. Look at how Jesus describes his followers, this relationship that he built in Matthew chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus actually, when he's speaking about his disciples, he says, these are my brothers and my mother. He uses a language of family and intimacy. John 15, verse 15, he says to his disciples, I don't call you slaves. A master doesn't share everything with his slaves, but I share everything with you. I call you my friends. Jesus washed their feet. What we see in his example is an intimacy a friendship, a closeness that actually somehow goes beyond the work that they were doing. Paul uses the language that we are a body together, one body, and he uses the human body to to paint this picture. But he says when one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. There is a level of togetherness and journeying that is a care for one another that we need to catch. I want to read um, from Galatians 6. 
Um, Paul gives a, another, I think, insight here as to the, the texture of this relationship that we are called into. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Deep and authentic relationships. We are called to know each other, to care for each other. There are many passages we can go to in the New Testament uh, to see this. Who knows the really obvious one? Someone call it out. It's not that obvious. The early church, Acts chapter 2, it's a, a favorite verse for many when talking about the church. You know, the early believers, they got together. And what did they do? They met regularly in each other's homes. They shared meals together. They prayed together. They sold their possessions, their property, to make sure that all the needs among them were met. This is the picture that we get in the New Testament. I want you to think about what that looks like. Because you can't actually meet someone's needs if you don't know what they are. You can't genuinely turn up for someone and meet their needs, their deepest needs, at Galatians 6, to actually step into their place of, of sin and struggle with them if you don't know who they are, if you don't know what's going on for them. This is why we use this phrase deep, authentic relationship. Not just turning up in the same place together occasionally, not just waving at each other. There is something more that the gospel calls us to. Jesus tells us that it is by our love for one another that people will know that we are his disciples. This is core. Now, I'm, I'm thinking here this morning that this is probably not new information for most of you. If you have been around the church for a while, you've probably heard sermons like this. You've probably read these passages for yourself. So I actually want to stop speaking. I don't think there's much more that I can say at this point. I was sharing with someone this week... Um, there's a quote in a book called The Disciple Maker 
um, where the author says, we Western Christians have been educated beyond our level of obedience. And what he's talking about is we have more access to teaching on the scriptures, more commentaries, more university-trained pastors and leaders, more sermons, more books than at any point in history, more radio stations, podcasts. We've heard what the gospel is. We've heard what Jesus has said. We are well-educated beyond our level of practice, beyond actually what we live out. And this is why we have, you know, people like Gandhi saying, I love your Christ. It's your Christians I have a problem with. We need to go beyond just hearing this and talking about it when we meet together as a piece of theology or a theory. We actually need to map it out. So what I want to do right now is two things. One, I want to invite you to have a minute to pause. And I'm just going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. But I want you to pause and and just answer a couple of questions personally, privately. So this is just for you. I'm not going to make you share this with anyone else, but but let's just listen uh, to this together with the Holy Spirit. So God, I want, want to ask that you would help us to think about our relationships this morning, particularly those with your gathered ones, your church, what you are building. Who is it that knows us? God, do we have people in our lives that truly know us, people who we are authentic with? people that we share our real needs with, that we ask them to pray for us. God, who are we turning up for? Who are the people that we are knowing and noticing, that we are listening deeply to, that their journey is not one that they carry alone? Holy Spirit, I want to pray and ask that you would help us to see if this is an area that you want us to grow in. God, do we have space in our life for these kind of relationships? Help us to see if there are things that we need to to prune, to make space. And God, I want to pray that if there are relationships in this room that you want to bring together to strengthen, will you place people on our hearts right now? Help us to to know people that you want us to reach out to. God, I pray for us as a community that we will not walk away from this morning and forget 
anything that you're placing on our heart, anything that you want to challenge or, or really inspire within us. God, help us to, to notice it now, to listen, and to make the commitment that we will act on that.